Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. So today I'm going to cover two topics, and they're going to be right about ketosis and the ketogenic diet and so on. Back to the prime real estate of topics. And the first is, this question comes up a lot, actually. It's about the keto rash. I won't say a lot, but people call it a keto rash. I personally have never seen the keto rash, but you can read about it. I got a question from somebody in Saudi Arabia, and I thought I would do a little investigation and pull things together. It was a good back and forth. It made me look more deeply than I would have otherwise. The question was also thought that he had contacted somebody else and they said, oh, the rash is probably a fungal rash because fungus can feed off of ketones. Well, I I wanted to bring that up. And one is I've never heard that. I never found any research on that. And I have to say why I got into the ketogenic diet wasn't trying to, because I wanted to do a podcast was for me personally, I wanted to feel better. And I was very ill with ulcerated colitis and Crohn's at the same time and was severely anemic due to those and all the medications I was put on. So sometimes you can catch I have a little attitude about certain carte blanche, you know, standard protocols Western medicine does for people and uh, they get hurt by it. It's not what I consider medicine. I consider that almost assembly line treatment. But anyway, So that's where I came in and how I came in. uh, I thought I could work with this initial doctor, which I couldn't. And I said, you know, I think that maybe, and I didn't know anything about macros. I mean, I knew about macros, but I wasn't tracking my macros. This is way, this is 2012, 13. It was kind of a year before I started looking seriously at the ketogenic diet. So I asked him, I said, you know, I think there might be fungal cause of my Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And I would bring in studies saying, see, this is associations. And in fact, they were looking into that same problem at Mount Sinai in New York City. Um, So I said, uh, could I go on Diflucan, which is one of the antifungal medications, but not prescribed for Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So I did, and I started to get better. And then he says, I got to take you off it because it's not approved on-label use. It's an off-label use, what you're doing, and I can't do that for you anymore. So despite the fact that my labs are getting better, I was feeling better, 
he couldn't prescribe it. He was an MD and I was an ND. And in Connecticut, they are separate scopes of practice severely. In other states, they do not have separate scopes of practice. So that was a problem for me. Not only did I really not communicate with this guy, I don't know what is. Anyway, soon left that doctor. But it got me to thinking, what to revisit my own naturopathic treatments for antifungal things, basically for things like candida albicans, which as a diagnosis was very popular in the first 10 years of the year 2000, to the point that it got to be a joke, but a lot of people have. So candida is a fungal, is a fungus. Fungal infection, we used to call it dysbiosis of the gut, that comes about primarily from eating too many carbs. Really interesting how the carbs are coming up in terms, this is before keto. So what are some of these? Why don't I try some of these? And so there was one that I had tried a number of times on past patients so it, that was moderately successful. A lot of times it comes down to the compliance of the patient, and that was caprylic acid triglyceride, otherwise known as C8. C8 is caprylic acid triglyceride or octanoic acid. So I uh, ordered online through supplements because they were just oral capsules. And I said, gee, there's got to be, you go through a lot of these. And it didn't upset me. It seemed to give me some moderate improvement. I was feeling better. And so then I found out, well, actually, you, I could order the oil. It wasn't a product yet. You know, I, I looked in, really. That's kind of research that I do. Go in and say, wow, you know, there's a big company. If I wanted to order 5,000 <laughs> 5, gallons of it, I could get it for this price. Obviously, too much. But we, that's what's birthed the product that we have, a C8 of caprylic acid triglyceride, C8 is MCT oil because of that. So I started taking that and that was directly beneficial. So now I'm, a, now I'm taking C8 before as an antifungal, not as a precursor to, to ketogenic diet. So then I started learning that caprylic acid triglyceride within 15 minutes converts to ketones in the liver, which it does. And anybody who has a contaminer can measure that for themselves and they go, holy moly, look how this changes. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a real deal. And uh, it's a natural exogenous ketone, if you ask me. I'm using that word loosely. Natural, because it really is the only natural one. It's an oil. It came from, in this case, it came from palm oil. You could get some of it from coconut oil, though I don't even think that's really much available. So, but anyways, it's a C8. So I go, wow, that's interesting. Um, ketones, maybe ketones, butyrate. What I also knew is that butyrate, so one of the ketones, we call it ketone bodies, there's three ketones, and I'm hoping that everybody knows that, so who's listening to that. You have BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrite, acetone, acetoacetate. These are the three, and they interconvert. Um, acetone is just given off and you breathe it out, so it doesn't really convert to anything else. It just leaves eventually. So I go, well, that's interesting because one of the kind of more extreme treatments for people that had extreme ulcerated colitis was to give them a butyrate enema. I mean, that was like, it would calm it down completely. And I was saying, you know, I'm not up to the butyrate enema. I didn't really want to start giving myself this enema with butyrate. It's also not a very pleasant smelling. But I knew that. That was kind of drummed into us from medical school. Oh, butyrate. Well, that's an anti-inflammatory for the large intestine primarily. It was like the preferred fuel, in fact. Butyrate, as we learned it, is what is the the fuel for the large intestine, just as glutamine is a fuel for the small intestine, just as branched-chain amino acids are the fuel for the liver. Uh, really, it's primarily leucine, but branched-chain amino acids for the liver. Okay, so I go, oh, that's interesting. So. Butyrate. So 
is the butyrate that comes from the anima, the same kind of butyrate that's also a ketone, and they interconvert. I couldn't initially couldn't find the research, but that's the other reason, and perhaps why we went from caprylic acid triglyceride as an antifungal. So it's hitting this proposed fungal problem that I had that was causing this inflammation, but at the same time, it was converting through the liver to ketones, BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and that was now an anti-inflammatory. So I was getting two benefits from this one thing. I'm thinking, holy smokes, did I ever stumble into something? So that started making me look at what else do people do to get their ketones up? And I'm just coming from, let's calm down my gut, let's heal it, let's move on. That was my whole focus. And you can go back to listen to past podcasts. I think I did a lot of details on that situation back then for what I did look into and did do. But that's how I got into looking at the ketogenic diet. So that's in now 19, 19, 2013 that I really started heading directly towards ketogenic diet, trying to find out as much as I possibly could. And this was a few years before any of the conferences, before it even became a search term in uh, Google. And that was interesting. And so that's what led me into the ketogenic diet. So now back to the keto rash that this person sent an email to me saying, you know, I contacted this other person. This other person says it's fungal because ketones cause fungus. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I I can tell you, I didn't find any research to support that. And I can tell you that, and the whole story I just told you that a C8 MCT oil is actually an antifungal and that's how I got into it. So I'm thinking that's probably not the case, but that you should track. So anyways, back to the rash. So this rash is commonly called keto rash as if there's a couple of other fancier names for it. When it's called Nagashima's disease, Nagashima's disease, the medical term is actually called perigio pigmentosa. Pigmentosa is pigment, the color of your skin. So perigio pigmentosa. Okay, so all three of those mean the same thing. So how does this come about? The research on the keto rash is that it tends to happen when people have high ketones with high glucose. So that would be uh, pretty advanced diabetes. That is, they are at the point of ketoacidosis. They have their diabetes has gone on so long that their insulin is totally pooped out. And so now their body is actually resorts to producing ketones. So the ketones start rising quickly and they already have uncontrolled high glucose levels. And it's the combination that is, so the ketoacidosis was the thing that was associated with Peruga, pimentosis, uh, the keto rash. And they can go online and see all sorts of gross pictures of this. But one of the things is it's about the trunk. It's not on your arms and it's not on your leg. It's on your trunks. It's on your your breast, your abdomen, your back, upper back and lower back, but not on your arms or legs. How do you relieve that? Well, if one's an advanced diabetic, they're obviously given insulin and they bring that condition back down to a normal, ideally a normal blood sugar levels. Their ketones would drop because they were induced kind of as a last resort. So how does it happen in other people? Because you hear, I people started doing, not a lot, but you hear, I've started doing keto and I get this keto rash every time I get back to doing keto. When people say things like that, you don't know exactly what they're doing. And I have never seen it. And everybody who's worked with me has never had it. So I don't have firsthand experience on that. Um, I just hear say it comes up in our Facebook group every so often. And what it is, it's often people who suddenly jump into from a high-carb diet to 
either no carbs or very low carbs diet, and it's an extreme change for them. So yes, they go into ketosis because they've starved themselves there, but that change has been so dramatic that that transition is too abrupt and a keto rash shows up. The other time is that for those that are really were keto and then they start going through these bouts of, hey, they they lost the way and they go back to high carbs again. It's usually they process carbs, of course. And so they'll go back to having high carbs. They don't mean to, and then they'll fade out. So it's usually in those times, it's reported in those times that they do that, the keto rash will come and then go. It's hard to know exactly. They, in looking at the medical records, and they all say the cause, the etiology is not very well defined. It's not elucidated very well. It's still an unknown, but there is an agreement that it has to do with the amount of carbs in one's diet. The amount of carbs usually in one person's diet who is trying to either, they might even be taking exogenous ketones. That's the other thing. They're, they want to get into ketosis, so they're, they're gulping down the C8 or they're having exogenous ketones. So they're forcing their body unnaturally to get into ketosis as opposed to letting their dietary change get them into ketosis, which is dropping the carbs and let that be a measured ketosis that they can pick up on a ketometer, you know, not the urine, but in the blood and be able to track it that way. So my answer to this particular person was, you know, why don't you track your food for a while? Why don't you track your glucose and your ketones for a while? And you get a sense of what's going on. And if you get another outbreak, you'll be able to associate it with a time, at least these this data. And beyond that, you'd have to go to a greater labs and so on and so forth. At least that's what I would do. I said, all right, let's go and go find other things. Let's go check your insulin in the very least and see what's going on with that. So those are the things you check into. There's a degree of uh, nobody really knows, but that has to do with carbs, usually on people who are trying the ketogenic diet. So I hope that's helpful. The other thing was, is a really interesting study came up that it's in mice, but usually it's pretty <laughs> transferable. The reason I'm mentioning this now is because when people start the ketogenic diet and they get through all the problems of transition, you know, they're, they miss their carbs. They're, they're trying to, I don't know if they're listening to Dr. Goldcamp specifically, but um, they're trying to drop their carbs and move into low carb, high fat diet and pay attention to their proteins. And they're getting a little more self-aware about what they have to do. Is that one of the top things that I hear, even at this vague first early step, first four weeks or so, is if you feel their breathing is better. Interesting. Their breathing is better. Well, all I can say is that's good. You know, it's going to make you work more efficiently. And when you have ketones, which is the cleaner fuel, basically, you have less oxidation and oxidation causes oxidation. It causes usually a degree of inflammation. It's very small because we breathe oxygen. We need oxygen, obviously. But if you don't need that much oxygen, so so to say. We know that if you're on a ketogenic diet, you actually need less oxygen. That's one of the reasons people can stay underwater much longer if they're in ketosis as opposed to not in ketosis. Isn't that interesting? So your inflammation drops. And so I would say, well, it could be just a function of it. you're burning a cleaner fuel, you have less, you're generating fewer free radicals, and uh, you need less oxygen, and it's an anti-inflammatory. And that could be a reason. So actually, I think the answer is this, and this comes from the study that came out in, uh, just in October, October 2020, so just a couple of weeks ago, 
and its ketogenic diet induces autophagy, or as many people say, autophagy, to alleviate a purposely induced lung fibrosis. So they call it a bleomycin-induced pulmonary fibrosis in mice. And so they induce a scarring, they induce an inflammation to cause the scarring, to cause the fibrosis. That's what scarring is, fibrosis in the lungs. Then they switch them to ketones. And so what they did is, in conclusion, these findings indicate that the ketogenic diet, so they didn't just use exogenous ketones, the ketogenic diet can improve lung fibrosis, pulmonary fibrosis, in vivo, that is in live animals, by regulating autophagy. And they go on to talk about how it slows down mTOR and some of these other pathways, which provide a novel therapeutic strategy for pulmonary fibrosis, which is pretty common for COPD, which is cardio-obstructive pulmonary disease. Basically, that, that means asthma. It means uh, various breathing problems for the most part, which usually leads to cardiovascular problems such as congestive heart failure and so on and so forth. But it's a lung problem. And asthma is part of that collective of disorders that belong to COPD. So that is the ketogenic diet, not just exogenous ketones. So that's pretty cool. What we find, you know, I mean, you, you could oversimplify this, but sometimes it's the specifics is, is really pretty interesting to look at. So what they did is this pulmonary fibrosis is a lung disease that occurs when lung tissue becomes damaged and scarred. This thickening or thickened stiff tissue makes it more difficult for your lungs to work. They become less pliable. As pulmonary fibrosis worsens, you become progressively more and more short of breath. So think of the asthmatic, if you are not one yourself, and you'll find when they can't breathe, what do they do? They use their whole shoulders, right? Their whole body. They're now using these axillary muscles to lift their rib cage to expand their lungs. That is, their, their lungs no longer are that supple. So it's a real mechanical. That's where they go, <gasps> you know, it's, 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 uh, it's frightening to see. And I'm sure it's frightening to experience as well. And it really needs oxygen right away. Hence, they have their oxygen tanks. But that's why you see, let's think of the obvious, the smokers and the, the emphysema, that would be another one of COPD. And the asthmas that are either pretty similar, but certainly it's the emphysema in which some of the scarring has become so bad that it actually starts to erode the lungs and become very stiff. So isn't that a treat to learn that why not start the ketogenic diet for however long that you will breathe easier. And I would say that, you know, we've been doing this so long that, you know, my lungs are as clear as a bell. I don't, and yes, I have a cigar about three times a year and it's fun. I enjoy it, usually with company. I'm not a smoker and I try to be aware of my environments and stay away from toxic environments like most people do. But there is a feeling that despite my not having a lung problem prior to, I have a great set of lungs right now. When I grew up as a competitive swimmer, and that could be you know, I'm feeling like I felt that back then too. But here you go. It goes to justify that. Pretty interesting. So the issue of autophagy, okay? So autophagy, autophagy happens when you're starving, when you're fasting. So fasting, starving is basically fasting too long, right? You're going without carbs. You're clearly have created a ketosis for yourself, right? Your body has, you know, hooker by crook, got to the point that it can make ketones enough for you to survive somewhat. But when you listen to some of the things that I talked about, Dr. Ben uh, Beichman, who's at Brigham Young University, and he studies a lot of 
He's now into ketosis a lot. And one of the things he says is that it's an unmeasurable so uh, uh, to measure autophagy, and they even in this study they break down how they measure it. I'm not going to get into it; it's too technical. Uh, but just to go with it. Is they say it's unmeasurable, but what happens when you drop the carbs or have no carbs, your insulin drops. And so what he uses is a low insulin level as a marker for autophagy. So that how that's how he roughly measures autophagy. And so that's what happens when you get ketosis. Obviously, your insulin drops low because you're now you're burning fat. Uh, you're always going to be having some glucose burning going on because part of your brain requires that, and certain other red blood cells and so on. But you're now your insulin is at very low. Your pancreas is getting a vacation because you're in ketosis, and uh, it's the low level of insulin he correlates with being in autophagy. So all this makes perfect sense that the ketogenic diet. You know, it'd be interesting if they also measured insulin at the same time, but you can only ask for so much, eh? So until next time, hope you got something out of this. I think this is something you could use right away. So good breathing to you. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they're overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.